We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Podcast today is part of this disheveled, discombobulated home and home thing that Steve yeah. Zabin came up with a few weeks I, I ago. Who owes who which uh, home game? Almost like Georgetown and Maryland. I owe you, right? So this is going to take me off the hook. Um, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I think you owe me because you. I, the last time we did this, I was doing it from. Van. From that crazy, you know, Defense Department van that you've got set up over there in an undisclosed location. <laughs> the surveillance van, exactly. Yeah. Hey, don't pay any attention to this van. It's not doing anything weird. Van. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, by the way, was fun. And, you know, um, Zabe's going to be on the podcast today. Uh, we've got lots of things to talk about. I'm not even sure we have we, we have much of a plan here. But I was checking out your website, zabe.com. Um, and you yeah. just did a power lunch. Did I do the power lunch with you? Was that what I did with you and, and yeah. Carol? You did just we feed you? you. You did feed me. That was very and nice. You had the power lunch. Yeah, that you was had a, the power lunch. You did Adrian Dantley. Yeah. Was you I haven't I, I haven't listened to it. I haven't watched it. How was he? He was great. Now, AD is a simple man. He's a very humble guy for having had an epic NBA career. He's one of the 15 greatest players to not have a ring, according to many basketball websites and aficionados. And he has done so many things in his career, and he's now a crossing guard for the, for the health benefits in Montgomery County, Maryland. Hilarious. He's also a referee in the area. Yes. Yes, he Be- just likes to... Stay busy and stay active, and he's very, very humble about his career. I asked him, I said, how would you evaluate his career? And he kind of paused and he said, I had a pretty good career. And I go, pretty good? Really? He had an unbelievable career. So this is going to be, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. I'm coaching a game somewhere. I I forget where we were. Um, And um, I didn't really notice it until maybe – seven, eight minutes into the game, I'm looking at this guy who, to be perfectly honest with you, was not moving very smoothly up and down the court as a referee. But during one of the timeouts, like he walked over, he picked up the ball, and he walked over to the scores table. And I was standing there, and I looked at him, and I just, I just said it out loud. I go, 
you're Adrian Dantley. <laughs> and he and he, he just smiled He's and like, laughed. Yes, I am. He just smiled and laughed and um and after the game, you know, I told my kids like we you know they whatever happened at the end of the game and we all get together and I said I just want you to know that that man over there that just refereed your game is an NBA Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the league. I mean, he averaged, you know, I don't know how many career points he had, but he was a prolific scorer for many, many years. And the kids looked at him and they're like, yeah, sure, coach. Yeah, right. That's pretty funny. And and so with that, I did ask him, I said, Adrian, you got a second? And I introduced him and he came over. He was very, very nice. And, and I, and I said, you know, and like you said, he's so humble. He didn't want to be in that position. And so I quickly sort of, you know, moved on. Cause I could tell he, he was not mm. comfortable doing that. And he, I think he would have preferred to have gone unnoticed in fact, but it's hard. Yeah. And, and then over the years, and it's been, uh, you know, because of COVID, I haven't been in a gym watching high school basketball games or, you know, uh, lower level games in a while, yeah. but I, I ran into him a lot of times. In fact, Zabe, there were a lot of really – Michael Adams um, was a big-time referee around the area. Michael was a really good referee, too. Not that Adrian really? what wasn't. He, he was good, too. Was, but, yeah. but Michael Adams could real uh, could move. Um, X-Ray Hip, you remember him? He was refing games yeah. for years. It's funny. That's great. Yeah. Um, I would think that you would enjoy talking to AD because you're such a basketball fanatic and uh, – He's got a lot of uh, interesting stories. The, the picture he painted about how the league was when he was in it was crazy just because he got drafted by the Buffalo Braves, who are now the Clippers, and they had two owners at the time, two. And they would alternate coming into town running the team, and then the other guy would leave town to go do whatever, whatever he did, you know? And they were one owner would trade a player while he was running the team, and then the next month the other owner would make another trade. And it was madness. <laughs> and at one point they had A.D. and Moses Malone on the team. But they ended up trading both of those guys away because they had two owners. In Utah. In U- oh, in Buffalo? Moses in Malone Buffalo, was on the team now, in Buffalo. Interesting. Yeah, in Buffalo. And when he went to Utah, he said what drove him out of Utah, and he liked it there, was that he held out one year. He was only making five fifty or something like that a year, under a million dollars. He led the league in scoring, and he held out. He ended up, I guess, getting his money, but then Frank Layden, who was the GM and the coach at the time, held a grudge, and so he said Layden was hell-bent on shipping him out of town because he felt like he lost that negotiation. And I said, sounds exactly like the petty bullshine that used to go on in the league. And, of course, he went to the Pistons and was a great addition to those bad boys teams and was likely to get him over the hump into the finals until he collided with Vinny Johnson's head yeah. in Game 7 at the Boston Garden in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and, um, yeah, he, you know, I, I'm just, I just pulled up his basketball reference page because I want to see, you know, how he had multiple. Look at the number of total threes for his career. Oh, it had to be zero. Oh, yeah. I 41. Mean, yeah, he 41 three-point attempts for his 15-year career, and I think all of them came in the last four years. Yeah, and I was going to free throws because he was 
always at the free throw line. And look, one oh, yeah. one year he averaged 12 free throw attempts a game and shot 86%. Right. He averaged over 30 points a game four times in his career. Um, he, oh, yeah. You know, um, remember the, the, the lunch with a legend thing that Tommy and I used to do yeah. as part of our show? So one of the uh, ones that I really enjoyed was Morgan Wooten. We did him when he was, when he was still alive. And, you know, I grew up going to Morgan Wooten's basketball camp, which was really like the basketball camp on the East coast and kids came from all over. And and I was there every single summer, you know, growing up and right through, uh, you know, right through the beginning of high school. Anyway, you know, one of the things that you always heard from Morgan at camp when he would talk to the camp campers before the day or at the end of the day, were just it was just one Adrian Dantley story after another. And it was very <laughs> clear that Adrian Dantley, out of all of the great players he's had, was his favorite player. So we asked him in that lunch with a legend, I said, did you have, you know, I know it's hard for coaches to do this, but I think I know who your favorite player that you ever coached was. Um, will you tell us? And he said, well, I, I won't do that. We had a lot of great players and he wouldn't even start to list. And I said, every single day that started camp and every single night uh, afternoon when camp ended, you had another Adrian Dantley story about how he would take, he had his own key to the gym that he'd get to school at 6 a.m. and he'd be working on his fundamentals. And, and he just smiled and he said, well, Adrian's up there. That's for sure. Um, because he, he, he really described Adrian Dantley as self-made, you know, he wasn't the most gifted player that he ever coached talent wise, but he was self-made. Absolutely. And of course I got into it with Adrian about his game and how it would translate if at all to today's NBA, because you watch the old highlights of him. And I mean, it's the league was a league of slow moving mastodons. Gangly, all knees and elbows, and just angles and individual play, and that you know that's what the league was back then. I'm not saying the players of that era weren't great; they were great for their era. But today's game is so much more explosive; it's so more dynamic that I have a hard time believing that a guy like Adrian Dantley could even survive in today's league. Now he says he would because he says he's got a good, quick first step, and he knew how to draw contact. And in today's NBA. Uh, you can you can go to the you can go to the hole, and they're not going to you know knock you to the ground like they did back in the seventies and the eighties, uh, because you'll get fined and suspended. And I thought there was some merit to that. Yeah, I, I, look, I get into this with my you know my our, our good friend uh, Tommy. Ms. Tommy all the time, and and I'm like Tommy, uh, you know, I, in fact I remember it was probably like a year or two ago uh, on NBA TV. They were running the 1962 NBA Finals. As it was broadcast, yeah, 1962, as it was broadcast by, I think it was ABC Sports. By the way, like just some of the things from back then that are hysterical, like when you fouled late in the game, it was one free throw. It wasn't two when you were in the penalty. It was one. So there was a much bigger benefit to fouling yeah, because the most points they could score in the possession was one. And, and then the NBA thought, okay, we need to overcorrect for that. So they instituted the equally hilarious three to make oh, two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but at least that was more penal for a foul. The other was like an incentive to foul. 
<laughs> but the so the the thing about watching that, I remember sitting there watching it. And I'm like, oh my god! Like, no offense to the greats, and Elgin Baylor just passed away recently, and Elgin Baylor was in this yeah. game, and Jerry West was in this game, and and Bob Cousy, and you know Bill Russell, you know, like Russell and Elgin Baylor looked like you know major difference makers. I'm sitting there watching. I swear to God, I came and I told Tommy this. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. I said Jerry West couldn't even dribble with his left hand, Tommy. Like nobody nope. nobody guarded any of these people. And I told him, and I swear to God, I believe this to be true, that DeMatha's team last year probably would have won a game in these NBA finals in nineteen sixty two, if not won the series outright. And now that's a hilarious proposition argument, and it's one that I would sign on on. I think you're right. I think they, they, they would stun the old Mastodons with their speed and explosiveness and these, cranky, these fancy, crazy crossover dribbles and through the legs and the fact that they contested shots in the air. Like, the, the other thing about old-school basketball in the NBA is nobody contested in the air. Nope. They thought if you just faced up against the guy and put your hand up, <laughs> right. your defense. that's all you can do. Yeah. Not how it is today in the NBA. No, it's um, you know we we all understand evolution when it comes to you know um, diet and training and the athlete of today. You know, technology, Lebr- yeah, and everything. Yeah, LeBron's six nine and two sixty. Jordan was six six and one ninety five. Like, there's a big difference. But what I'm saying actually is that the skill was much different too. Like, I, I think I can go to the '80s and say that the skill level, the ball handling, like Isaiah Thomas is a ball handler and is a scorer and you know that there's there, there's not that there, there there's better skill today they're better skilled but the difference between like early 60s and what you see today honestly yeah. at the high school level the games played in a in a way in which the NBA level back then wasn't played and I know people are listening to this going you're insane you're talking no, about no we're not insane yeah I don't think no, so you know what we're 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 logical because as you know, and, and people that watch sports knows, everything evolves. Everything gets better. Every iteration, you know, advancements in technology and, and processes. It's all about iteration. So every kid now playing the game has watched and modeled their game off of better players and better players from back through the generations. And so they're good at a younger age now than kids were a while ago, and they specialize more too now. They play in more high-level competitions and tournaments in AAU ball. AAU gets, of course, it deserves grass for doing what it does for the college game and recruiting and everything else. But it's high-level competition that these kids are in at a very early age. And that's something you didn't get. If you were the best kid playing basketball on your schoolyard, at your school, in your high school, in your league, whatever, you didn't really see anybody else of similar caliber until you finally got to college. Not anymore. They're seeing it at 13. There is no doubt that what you said is 100% true because it's year-round and there is high-level competition if you seek it out and at your, if you're at that level year-round. Here's the big thing that's been my gripe as somebody who's been coaching on and off for 30 years. The thing that sucks, and I think most coaches at any level would tell you this, is you, you don't practice anymore 
it, you're just right. playing games. And I think that ultimately leads to, you know, a simplification of what you're doing on the floor. It's why you see basically space the floor, you get one ball screen, and it's like, you know, create and let Find you know. an open shot. Yeah, there, there's no more five-man basketball, although no. we saw it with Gonzaga offensively in the, in the tournament, which right. was really unique. But I think that um, basketball IQ and and the things that that you do that that were done back in the day when you practiced more are just different. I think practice. Yeah. So I many think, so many teams that I've coached, you get one practice day a week, and then you're playing four games over a weekend. You know, and it's. I think the yeah, I think you're right. I think the the individual state of the art for the individual player has advanced by leaps and bounds. I think. Overall, team concept basketball has stagnated, if not regressed a bit. And I think part of it is it's just not worth it. Like, the, the, the analytics of the game have hacked basketball like it's hacked every sport to figure out this is not worth doing. This is not worth doing. Do this and this instead. It's better to jack up a three, go hard on the rebounds, and then try to outpace your opponent if you've got the talent on your side. Forget all this fancy... You know, three passes, backdoor screen. I mean, it looks pretty, and we love it. We're romanticizing it, but it's hard to do. It's easy to disrupt if you've got the physically superior team like we saw with Baylor on Monday night, and it's just not worth it for most teams. Did you like the tournament or not? Or not? I did. I liked the fact that it happened. As I said afterwards, the hay's in the barn. Next stop is hopefully full stadiums come uh, September in football, but um you know, it was a hell of an effort to get it done. There was a lot of people in our business, Kevin, that were bizarrely rooting and actively advocating for it not to happen. And it would have been an extinction-level event if the NCAA couldn't have staged the tournament because it's a ton of money. I mean, I don't know anybody in our business that was actively rooting for it not to happen. I wanted it to happen. Pat Forty, Dan Wolken. Um, a bunch of other. What were they saying? Were, be, they, they were oh, just they concerned. Were like, no, they were like, "We can't. This is dangerous." Oh, this Jesus. Is Christine Brennan, oh, darkest my. day for the Big Ten when they pushed ahead with football. Oh yeah, there was quite a few members on Team Virus that just <laughs> thought this was too dangerous. And guess how many coaches, how many players ended up even in the hospital? much less anything worse for the virus. Zero, zero, zero. So I'm glad they got it done. The tournament itself wasn't that great because that buzzer beater by um, uh, Gonzaga was the first actual buzzer beater of the tournament. We've had years where there was like six of them by the time we got to the Final Four. I thought it was. By the way, I I I totally when you started ripping off the names, I can totally hear them. I just didn't I didn't see it or, yeah. or read it. And I think that the number those numbers are down. Look, I remember, I remember having remember prior to free agency and draft talk last March, how adamant various people were. Adam Schefter, you know, was very very. This is this is not the right decision to move forward with free agency and. Yeah. And I, I had him on the show, and I said, you know, Adam, to be totally honest with you, your perspective, you live in New York, it's a hot spot. I live in D.C. I don't know one person 
that has gotten this. And, and the feeling about it in most of the country, other than in Seattle, Washington, in a senior home, and in New York and a couple of other spots, is there is some concern and there's some fear. But these things are diversions that probably people need right, right now. And I and but, I just said, I but, think... But, but, but Schefter's complaint for the draft last year was one of optics. It was one of a, a sort of a sensitivity. Yes. Flex. It was like, how can the NFL do this when the country is an upheaval? I forget what did he say blood in the streets or something crazy like yes, that? I mean it, it was, was something like that. Take and and I'll, I'll accept the fact that him being in New York City where it was especially rattling would lead to that. Um, but thank God the NFL pressed ahead because Damn right. you know, here we are a year and two months later and we're still neck deep in it. I mean, you were talking to me before we came on about how the Nats with their five thousand fans raised a banner. And your point was, why don't they just effing wait until we can get close to a full stadium to do that? And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, well, in part because the 5,000 people that they're letting in are season ticket holders. And and by the way, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to guess that they're among the premier season ticket holders. So, you know, uh, they shouldn't have done it. You know, and how many times are they going to do it? By the way, just speaking of of virus-related issues, how about what Max Scherzer said after the game last night? I Uh, loved it. Yeah, he he wants the upper deck. That are willing to go out there and he... He's not wrong. I mean, hell, I looked at the Cubs opener in the state of Illinois, which has been pretty darn restrictive on everything, and they had what looked to me to be at least 30%, and they had people pretty much sprinkled throughout the stadium. It's nonsense. It's nuts to not have at least some people in the upper deck. But good for Max for saying it. Yeah, I I don't. I mean, and by the way, I thought you could hear in sort of the tone. Um, and he, yeah. he said, I'm respecting the virus, but I think he's among those of us. And I think you and, and I probably think similarly as it relates to this. And by the way, I'm, I'm not, you know, I wear a mask. I socially distance. I do all of those things that are respectful to those that really have been living in fear. But more importantly, those that are truly vulnerable. Um, to this, um, I've you know, have you been vaccinated? No, I had COVID back in January. I, I, I definitely lost my sense of smell for several days. I got tested; it came back positive. So I'm in no rush to get it. You know, they say that you can lose your immunity after a certain number of months. Others believe that there is T cell memory for your immune system. Um, I suppose I might get it at some point, but yeah. As far as the outdoor stuff, here's the bottom line. Outdoor transmission of this virus is extremely rare. That's not my opinion. That's scientific fact. They've done studies on this. In fact, transmission within the home, this is amazing. They said there was only a 17% attack rate of symptomatic people in the home. So in other words, if you have somebody sick in your home with symptoms, only 17% typically of people sharing that home end up getting infected. And when it comes to asymptomatic, it's under 1%, even when you're in the home setting. So being outdoors at a ball game, even if you are briefly standing in line for a beer or going to the pisser, is not going to make this pandemic explode, not by any measure. And with everyone being almost able to be vaccinated by now, they should be opening stuff up a lot more. Um, I don't... Um... God, man, it's in in whatever. Um, some some people listening are gonna you know have a connection. Who cares? I, I don't I don't really give a shit. I I, I I've been I've been, I've, been, I've, been, I've, been, I've, been, I've been, 
I read about this stuff. I've been, on this, I've been on this. I've been on this. I've been on the CDC website. Um, you know, uh, it, it recently is like two weeks ago, and if you've been fully vaccinated, you can be outside or even inside your home without a mask. I don't. I don't understand why those that are fully vaccinated, other than for optics, you're, you know, as, as you like to say. Um, I don't I don't really understand why they're wearing a mask if they've been fully vaccinated and you go to CDC.gov and it says you don't have to wear a mask outdoors um, uh, if if you've been vaccinated people. A lot of people are literally now nervous to not wear a mask. I have seen videos of poor young women who are terrified to get off an elevator because somebody in that elevator is not wearing their mask properly and they won't get off before them because there's a lot of people that, you know, we know, but we don't think about it all the time that are living very fragile lives mentally. And I have sympathy for them, Kevin, but if you are already living a fragile life mentally for whatever reason, and now you've had a year of fear mongering and doom and paranoia, it's not going to sit well with you. And these poor people, it's going to take a long time to unfuck them mentally. So it's going to be interesting. Well, there there are going to be anyway. so many so many impacts. I mean, look, I've got uh, you know I've got boys and I've got I've got it's some still in college. I mean, the experience just in college for young people over the last year. I mean, it's not the college experience. Whatever. No. There, there are people. Look, you know, bottom line is, you know, we're at a half a million or six hundred thousand or whatever it is. I don't know what the number is. I don't keep. Uh, I don't watch the tracker all day on various networks. But it's a lot of people that have died and a lot of people who have been impacted and 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 I'm not not insensitive to that at all. I just commonsensically when the CDC tells you if you've been vaccinated you really unless you're inside in a larger gathering or a medium-sized gathering don't need to wear a mask. I don't know why we are. But then again, I'm sure I'm missing why, I'm sure I'm missing something. Point, I don't know why at this point they can't say, "Look, uh, assess your own risk." vaccines are rolling out to almost everybody now and so if you don't feel comfortable going to a restaurant or a ball game or the park don't go to those places and live your life but we seem to have forgotten that default setting for life that there are risks and that people have germs and that you could die by just leaving your house getting hit by a a tire that flies off of a truck and smashes into your front door don't think that doesn't happen i've seen it on youtube all right. Uh, Jerry West wasn't very good, and we're really upset with those people that have been vaccinated that are still wearing masks. Where are we going that next? Is, Where are we going next? Summary, that is not the summary <laughs> of what we've talked about today, but fine. Let's move on. I want to ask you if you have a resounding sense of defeat about the official news that Snyder now owns 100% of the Washington football team. He not only survives, he emerges fully stronger than before. Great tease. I find this to be bitter. Great tease. Great tease. We'll both answer that question you just did, but we'll both answer it right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Steve Zabin joining us on the podcast today. Um, if you're still listening, uh, I'll answer the question that Zabe asked me. You know, he's just not – there's clearly nothing in the Wilkinson report that is smoking gun material. If there were, then he would not have been able to purchase the remaining minority shares from Shar and Rothman and Smith with, you know, a debt waiver, which obviously the new TV deal allows him to do some of that. Um, so, you know, I'm disappointed. Like, for if we didn't have all the shit that we had over the summer and the promise of, of maybe, just maybe, there's going to be something that we're going to find out about him that's going to force him to sell the team, you know, we got our hopes up, even though I think it was a long shot hope to begin with, but now they're snuffed out. And, you know, Zabe, here's the thing. They hired um, – they hired – I mean, they have had an emphasis this football franchise has now going back to last summer. Going back to even really, to be fair to them, before that, of hiring as diverse a management team, coaching staff, et cetera, as there is in the NFL um, because they hired today Natalia Durantes, who is uh, has some job I've never heard of called coordinator of football Director programs. Of, yeah, coordinator of football programs. I'm, I'm like you, I saw that. I go, wait, what? I don't know. I don't even it, know what that is. It makes me think my dream of being the director of pants and picnics oh, is stop. somehow still attainable. Um, I don't know what that is, but 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 here's the thing. I think that you don't know what director of pants and picnics is. No, I I know what director of pitch. It's one oh, of my okay. it's one of my Steve Zabin favorite descriptions That's of favorite. all time. All right, for those that may not know, they know. Uh, once upon a time, uh, Bruce Allen brought the yellow pants back from the 70s, which I loved, by the way. Yeah, I did too, uh, underneath initially. The, underneath the ketchup tops. And, oh, you grew tired of them, huh? Yeah, sort of, because I wanted to get back to the okay. championship uniform. Okay, so so that was one <laughs> big Bruce Allen thing. And then he also instituted this homecoming concept, although they didn't call it homecoming. They called it something else. Um, I forget what it was, but it was basically... No, it was, so, back, it was alumni was it weekend. Homecoming? Alumni weekend. Alumni, yes. Right, because if you called it homecoming, you would smack a high school or college, and it would be seen as a potential insult to your opponent that week, who would say, what, we're the homecoming opponent? Fuck you. You know, we're, we're going to beat you. So uh, it was alumni weekend, and he brought that back, and uh, I made fun of the fact that he invited back such otherwise nondescript loser Redskins like Darnerian McCann. And Andy got into it with me saying, well, you got to invite him back. He was a former Redskin. I go, no, you don't. It's called an invite for a reason. 
you pick and choose. Use some discretion, you know. Bring back a decent player or two. And he's like, no, you got to invite everybody if they're a Redskin. And I said, okay, what about Ainsworth? And I said, what about Stubby? And that's where Andy was like, ah, ah, ah. So I choked on that one because yeah. he hates those two guys. So I said uh, Bruce Allen was the quote-unquote director of Panthers. That was great. <laughs> Did you ever, by the way, um, the all-timer was D'Angelo Williams, the Carolina Panthers running back in 20-whatever-that-was, where they came in to FedEx, and it was alumni weekend, and he said, you know, somebody handed out the program for the game before, and basically it was a homecoming program, and he's like, I'm looking around, I'm going, this is the NFL. He's like homecoming like who do you think we are and he goes we were pissed we were pissed and i just remember going how stupid are we we're we're creating just a, an unnecessary incentive uh, for the opponent um it almost really... as dumb as having training camps where you charge money and that yeah. allows scouts from other teams to come in or as dumb as having a former bingo caller become your offensive coordinator midway through the season. Lots of dumb things went on. <laughs> By the way, I thought that was Timmy Biakabatuka that, that No, 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 no. It was Deang- maybe you're right. It was definitely See, D'Angelo Biakabatuka Williams. Biakabatuka did have a monster game against us. Yeah, that, that was a that was a Norv team. Earlier. Yeah, that was a Norv team. Yeah. Um but it was definitely D'Angelo Williams because I've played that drop many times on the show okay. over the years. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, remember, other NFL teams actually said they were allowing us in. They were charging, which meant we just had to pay ten bucks to come in and watch right. their practices. How stupid and it could allowed, they be? Allowed other team scouts. There was like this rule yeah. that said, "Look, you can't scout other teams' training camps as part of the agreement." But as soon as you start charging. Well, then we can't stop you from doing it. I mean, no and, idea. and how much revenue could they have really generated off of training camp practices? At By the way, the, they were charging, weren't they at Ashburn, in, in Ashburn at Redskin Park initially? Yeah. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, that no, that, that was the only place they charged for it. And we derisively called it Danny World because it was not just training camp. Yeah. There was like a a bounce house and a, a, a churro cart, and there was some other low-level dance night or attractions out there. Um, and it was supposed to be this thing. And I remember we, we found out at Redskin Park this um, diagram of the layout of training camp that they were going to monetize. And I think we somehow got a – they gave it to us. Someone said, you can have that thing. And so I kept it in my office as a placard of Danny World under its original plans. Stupid idea. Oh, God. Um, so anyway. Then, you know, that's that. And so, so the same guy that fought that now has 100% control of the team. And I must say, Solly made a great point to me on this on my podcast on Sunday. He said, how come none of the NFL pundits, all the guys that report on this league, the Mort's, the Schefter's, the Ian Rappaport's, the uh, Jake Lazers, how come not a one of them said along the way, you know, Snyder may be allowed to buy out his partners, and he may be in full control. No one had that angle. That was not even a answer on the board. And I said, you're right, Solly. None of these so-called NFL experts had anything about that. Not Florio, nobody. What? Why do you think that is? Um, well, I, I don't know if that's true. I think that there was some discussion. Remember that they... Who reported, though, that he may buy out his partners? Um, 
I, I don't I don't know. You might be right about that. I remember having a conversation about his personal financial situation wouldn't with the debt limit, you know, uh, criteria right. in the NFL. Actually, he wasn't in a liquid position from what I was told to buy them out, and so that's right. why they, you know, so, you, you know, yeah. use that Baltimore um, broker to, you know, and, and they found, right. you know, uh, this guy Jose Feliciano in, in, the, in the group out in California. Which, by the way, I don't want to forget this thought because I didn't finish it from the last segment. I think that he will. I think there's a really good chance he will bring on a new group of diverse. Minority well, investors. Of course. Now, now that he owns the entire apartment complex, he can sublease to whomever he wants. Yeah, and the and league and the league wants money. that. The league wants more diversity yeah. in in ownership, and so well, this will continue as well, part I of. At, I look at this as like a the league now has their own little laboratory team. That the Faustian <laughs> bargain that uh, Snyder has made is that he's going to keep the team, but the NFL is going to get to do whatever side hustle they want, side programs, these feel-good stories, director of football programs, whatever the hey-who that is, that the league is going to just tell Dan, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and he's going to say, no problem. <laughs> I and it's mean, better than losing your team. No knock on Natalia. I mean, I'm sure she's more than capable no. and qualified to do I'm something sure really nice in the organization. But who's place? We're have the best football programs in the league, whatever <laughs> a football program is. I don't even know who had this position before. Like I've never heard of this title in the organization. But whatever. No, they're made up. They're made up titles. But it look look at look at the diversity. My God, it's fantastic. It's spectacular. It's just what the league wants. It's what the league wants and needs in the faces of stories like Deshaun Watson, which, by the way, today jumped up a notch as Nike yeah. has said they're suspending their yeah. relationship with them and the league said that they are looking into the matter. Oops. Yeah. Um, d- definitely. You know, I, I was, I, well, I was, I actually had on my a list of things to Sean Watson, but d- this is, I think actually one of the more incredible stories in terms of the acceleration from, um, you know, What's his trade value? Are they going to trade him? Aren't they going to trade him? What you know? Mm-hmm. This is all, and now you've got a guy who you know everybody claimed was this is the old you don't know anybody you know you no, none of us yeah. know what these people are including their employers, and um, this guy is you know due process is very important in these situations but now you have criminal allegations not just civil now you've got a major Other criminal well you Is have there an actual you, yeah there's a criminal there, there's a criminal complaint. investigation based on two criminal that, complaints now so there are criminal complaints yeah but no indictments yet okay but there but the so invest they have filed complaints with the police saying I was yes. assaulted yeah okay. and look yeah. so, some of the you know, some uh, look. This is this isn't you know. Um, this is hardly revealing um, to many people listening out there. If you're into therapeutic massage, you don't end up having 22 different women that you've gone to. Okay, this it gets exhausting explaining to each one <laughs> right. what needs work on your body. Yeah, like, this oh, it's is my left shoulder blade. It's this. It's that. I don't think I don't think my sense is he's not a monster, but 
he was a he's serial. Dad. He's a serial rub and tug happy well, ending guy. Yeah. I, he's a guy that didn't understand that as a quarterback in the NFL, you orbit at a higher level in which you don't get to get away with certain things. You know, if he was a running back or wide receiver, it'd be roll your eyes and okay, he's probably going to get Nate Tamer. Because he's a quarterback, it's up a whole nother level. Because the league is all about image, and it's a, it's a league that's a TV show about quarterbacks. What was the Nike? Do we know what Nike was paying him? I'm just curious what that endorsement deal did. Did you read that? I, I don't know, and I don't know if they've I don't know if they have dropped him or just suspended. It's suspended. Him. Yeah, you know, I think there's a chance they can you know come back at a later date, obviously. But uh, his image has taken a huge hit. He was perceived as the the valiant martyr of a dysfunctional franchise that deserved to get out from under the shadow of their utter incompetence. And boy, has that tune changed, given the fact that he was living his life like a reckless dumbass who should have just, you know, been a bit more discreet about, okay, I want to date some Instagram thirsty girls, but I'm not going to do it under the guise of a massage. It's really incredible when you think about it. Now, the only thing that I don't know is, was he actually going to strip, you know, shopping centers, or was this happening in, you know, his home, no. or what? Instagram. Instagram. They're all Instagram. So, so, I mean, so, yeah, so in other words, I think Deshaun Watson treated a massage like a first date or like a dinner. Yeah. And so he thought if the, the, the dinner or massage went well, then they can go to the next phase. Yeah. But if you take a woman out to dinner, then you're on the same sort of wavelength of, hey, did you enjoy dinner? Okay. Do you like me? I like you. It's 2021. We have apps like Tinder where people hook up and bang each other yeah. on a moment's notice. So let's go, you know, get it on. And then, then you're not exposing yourself the way he did by this ruse of massages. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway. I'll still, I'll still take him, though. If he is available, I will take him. But I want him at a discount. <laughs> well, see, we're I don't... Gonna, we're I, only going to have for eight games this year if we get him. So it's it's funny. My, my middle son said to me over the weekend, do you think we can get Deshaun Watson now at a major discount? And I'm like... Probably not, but let me just explain something to you, son. This organization that's being investigated for years and years of sexual harassment and potentially, you know, a culture of misogyny and and assault, you know, this is not going to be the organization that, that regardless of whatever the discount is, will end up paying for Deshaun Watson. I think personally, no one's going to trade for him. I think this thing has to flush out. This is not a rule. Ruben Foster, where you know Brucey can get on, the, it can call up you know a Ryan Anderson and and John Allen and say, "What do you think about him?" Ah, we did our due diligence. Um, this is much different. You end up trading. He and by the way, he was free. You end up trading two firsts, two seconds, and a player, and this guy ends up getting suspended for a year, or he's got other skeletons in the closet. There could be a lot more. It's just amazing because. Uh, it really is a you never know. It doesn't matter because right. he is has come off since he was at Clemson. 
you know, smart, classy, first-rate, work ethic, every A-plus person, A-plus. And the first little, you know, sort of chink in the armor was he signs this deal and demands a trade, you know, four months later, and people are like, hey, dude, you just signed that deal. But that's the worst thing that anybody's ever said about him. Um, anyway, that said, you can you can recover from it all though with time, and he's a quarterback and a really good one. So, if I still have the chance to get him, I would I would go for it. But it, it'll pass. I don't think it's going to end up disqualifying him as a player. But still, we'll see what happens. What um? So, what was your answer to the Snyder thing? Are you depressed? Are you? Do you think bitter, utter bitter depression combined with the fact it looks like the name of the football team is. <laughs> Starting to harden like cement. I mean, that's a that, that was a twin blow when those two things came out a week ago. I just I couldn't think of a worse outcome of the last twelve months. Lose your iconic team name and logo, replace it with a temporary, supposedly temporary thing, which sucks and people mock, and then have Dan Snyder go through a scandal that forces him into all these defensive maneuvers, and then he comes out of it stronger with total control of the team. I mean, that's a lifetime thing. You know, we our only hope is that Dan Snyder somehow gets it as an owner because it's it's for life. He's very young as an owner. Yeah. He might be one of the youngest two owners in the league, right? What are the ages of the owners? I'm going to look this up right uh, now uh, while you talk. Te- Tepper's younger, right? Um, Same age. I don't know. Uh, no, Tepper's not younger. Tepper's 63. Uh, I, I, I don't Mike, know. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, hold on a second. Uh, God, a lot of, <laughs> Virginia McCaskey is 97. <laughs> Mike Brown is 84. McJanus McNair, wife of, uh, well, the Texans owner, 84. Stephen Ross, 80. Kraft, 79. Jerry's 77. Arthur Blank is 77. And what's, um, da- what's Dan, 56. Hold on, I had to click through the listicle here. I'm scrolling, 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 scrolling. Yeah, I see. Why don't we just list this as a list? Pashadi is 60. Uh, the Glazier family is 56. Michael Bidwell is 55. Snyder is 55. Clark Hunt is 55. So, in other words, Dan is tied for the youngest owner in the league. And unlike Bidwell and Hunt, he's not a legacy. Yeah, I mean Bidwell's Bidwell. By the way, you know, went to Georgetown Prep here as as as, as a boarder, so he's got ties to here. And by the way, the, the one of the Glazers, who's is it Malcolm Glazer, who is the owner right now of the Buccaneers? Which which Glazers? It there there are a couple of sons and like Malcolm. I, yeah, oh, no, he Glade. He left it to Joel. Okay, Joel he, Glazer. I may be wrong about this. One of the Glazer sons, it might be Joel, lives here too. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I, it would not surprise me if there are three NFL owners that live in the D.C. area. Now, I don't know if Michael Bidwell lives here. He might live in Arizona, but he's back and forth a lot, I know, to this area. And one of the Glazers, uh, one of the Glazer sons, um, who obviously has some level, I would imagine, of equity in, in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, lives here um, as well. Um, all right. Uh, if you could come, real quick, yeah. if you could come back, if you could reincarnate, if you go back in time knowing what you know now, and let's say I put you at 10 years old, how furiously would you orient your life academically, business-wise, and everything 
to try to own an NFL team? Because I would. I would I would go back to being 10 years old and say, damn it, I'm going to fight like hell to own an NFL team. Because what a thing to have, man. What a, what a, what a money-making gold mine it is. And how fucking fun would it be? What kind of owner would you be? Shitty. Impulsive. <laughs> <laughs> but it'd yeah, be fun for I me. Mean... Just like Snyder, it'd be fun for me. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like I, I, I've always said, okay, if it were me, I would definitely turn over all the football decision people. I'd, I'd give them autonomy. I'd hire the best people. But then on game day, when my coach fucked up a clock management situation i'd be in there the following week (laughs) with a headset right into his ear now we can't do that again jay we can't do that again um but anyway uh so the sam darnold trade um and i did this on the on the radio show yesterday so if you could go back uh, or if let's just say that ryan fitzpatrick wasn't signed and I forget what you think about Ryan Fitzpatrick, so I'll ask you about that too. But let's just assume um, the assumption here is that you were sitting here with with Heineke and with Kyle Allen, and you hadn't made the move on the quarterback, and you could have gotten Darnold for a a sixth rounder this year and a second and a fourth next year. Would you have done it for Washington? Probably not. I don't. I don't see it. Um, I, I don't know what my thought was on Darnold coming out of college. I'm not sure I had a firm opinion, but having seen him, he just looks to me like a vacant stare, square-headed dummy. He looks like the kid in Breaking Bad who shot the little guy in the little Todd, bike. You know? Todd. Todd, yeah, the mm-hmm. best cooker. How can I help you? You know Jesse Pinkman? Right? Well, I'm a friend of his. My name's Todd. I'm sorry to bother you so late. It's nice to meet you. Doesn't seem like he's got it to me, and so who wants to be part of a reclamation project? I guess that was the quote that one insider for the Redskins or the football team said about not being in on the Darnold thing. I just don't know when has it ever worked where a high, high quarterback pick has been shined up and refurbished in the NFL. I can't think of one. Yeah, I kind of liked him, and I think the Jet thing is real. I think he was in a terrible thing, and I think for that kind of price, which, by the way, the the price was pretty much evaluated by every NFL expert as a great price for the Jets. If you add up all the draft point stuff, you know, the Jimmy Johnson draft chart, you know, if Carolina is good next year, you know, it's basically like equivalent to a second rounder. If they're bad next year, it's basically the equivalent of like a late first rounder, but whatever. Um, comparing him to to Todd from Breaking Bad, they actually sort of look alike. Um, so, That's why. That's what he looks like. Yeah. I always thought of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I would have done it, but then again, I'm I'm pleased with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I actually really am excited How about, about it. Who? Well, okay. Before we get to Fitzpatrick, and then we'll have to wrap it after this because I've missed six phone calls. But I love talking to you, and I you owe me a home and a home now after this. Um, who would be the more worthy reclamation project, Carson Wentz or um, uh, what's his name for the Jets, Darnold? Um, yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think maybe Wentz. I think Wentz. No. I, I, right. I, What's a better reclamation project? Wentz, Darnold, or Haskins? Wentz. And Haskins okay. is last in that conversation, clearly. 
What's right. a better reclamation project? Uh, Darnold, Wentz, Haskins, or Josh Rosen? Wentz followed by Darnold again. It's clearly something's wrong with both Haskins and Rosen. Like they just right. they're, they're two people who don't get it. All right, what's a better reclamation project? Darnold, uh, Wentz, Haskins, Rosen, or Mitch Trubisky? <clears throat> you know, the Trubisky thing's actually interesting because I actually think there's something to his game. But the playoff game he had against New Orleans where he flat out quit in the game. Quit. He tapped out in that game. I would never sign him. Um, I, I'm okay. one, I, So, so it, it's still Wentz, Darnold. Who else? What's the better reclamation <laughs> project? Wentz, Darnold, Haskins, Rosen, uh, Trubisky, or Jared Goff? Same order. Wentz, Darnold. I mean, okay. I'm not a I'm not a Goff fan. In part really? because so yeah. wait, you think Goff? I mean. I think Goff is still the best of all that bunch right now. I don't. I, I, and okay. the only reason I, I say that is that a guy like Sean McVay didn't think it. So, right. How about Marcus Mariota? I kind of like Mariota, but there's something missing from his overall demeanor, too. I, he's not I, a very good passer. I he's, think, a, he's a good runner. He doesn't pass it very well. What about Winston? Winston is going to be the real A hundred percent Winston won. Winston won right, okay. over all of those people. So, so if, if Winston gets refurbished and is, is a real life QB one with the Saints, then that'll be the first sort of reclamation job for a high drafted quarterback on his second team in five years. As I just scroll down the list. Yeah, Winston to me, it's, he he did the right thing staying in New Orleans with Sean Payton. I think he's got a second act to this already very short career with all the interceptions, where he could be truly in that you know top ten level. I yeah. mean, how come Teddy Bridgewater didn't? Do I don't think anything. Teddy Bridgewater's ever been right physically after that you know horrendous leg okay. injury. Okay, fair enough. What's the status of Garoppolo? Can't do it. Business? Can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> so handsome, though. If, God, I mean, yeah. I, I I would put that in the category of you know my my stepbrother Kyle Shanahan. If he knows and he's <laughs> he's moving on from a guy, then I trust that he knows that this guy can't do it. I remember when the Browns. Remember when the Browns thought they could refurbish Robert Griffin the third. How'd that go? Yeah, it didn't go well. But you know what? Baker Mayfield, with a new coaching staff, was a bit of a refurbishment. There were po- a lot of people that bailed on him. Yeah, a lot of people I that bailed. I, um, I do. Well, bef- I think, uh, yeah. Before you run, I do want just a quick, brief conversation about one of your favorite events and one of mine that starts tomorrow. The Masters. We'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis 
analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Master starts tomorrow. I had Sands on the show this morning from Augusta. You know, he he's really good over the years at giving me sleeper selections, not, you know, sort of the, the upper tier yep. odds guys. And he threw out a name that I was thinking about anyway, playing in my pool because I haven't used him. He thinks Sergio is perfect for this course this week, playing hard, fast, and he's been playing well. Just tell me real quickly, of the favorites, who who do you like? And then of the guys, you know, that are back in the 30-to-1 or longer shots, uh, give me give me a couple of names there. Uh, I don't have the list in front of me. I, w- I just called up the you know winner's list, and Danny Willett was a – Super long shot out of nowhere. Right. Charles Schwartzel in 2011 was another one. Um, Trevor Immelman in 08. It happens, but I, I think trying to go for long shots at the Masters is kind of a waste of time. I like to separate out of the top 10 contenders, guys that I just know don't have part of their game to thrive at Augusta. And then I'll sprinkle my money over whatever portion of those top ten guys are left. So you want to go through this? Do you have the list in front of you, or should I pull it up? No, I've, I've got. Yeah, I'll you know I'll pull it up from uh, a better list here. Um, I mean, I know I, I know I know DJ and DeChambeau are sort of co-favorites with Spieth now. Um, you know, coming behind. I, I'll pull it up from mine. Um, uh, DeChambeau underperformed in the fall after we thought he might do great. Uh, after you know the uh, uh, win at the U.S. Open, but I don't know about this week. I don't know about this week. I would fade Jordan Spieth. I think he'll finish top ten, top five. I don't think he's going to win. Sergio is an interesting sleeper. Kyle Porter for CBS has that as well. Dustin Johnson is everybody's favorite, obviously. Kepka's got a knee injury, so I wouldn't jump on him. I love McElroy to death. He's my favorite player. I think he's got a curse with this place ever since he came so close and snap-hooked it on 10. into oblivion on number 10. Yep. So I feel bad for that. Um, could be a sleeper, Matthew Fitzpatrick at 60-1. to 1. Um, John Rahm just had a baby. I don't know if people who have babies win majors. Kepka's uh, right hurt. Yeah, like I said, Kepka's hurt. Um, Justin Thomas, I think, is a solid pick amongst the uh, top Odds, guys. And I can't find a list. This is not a list. 
people. Give me a lift. All right, let me let me give let me give it to you, and and let me just tell you everybody that this segment's brought to you by my bookie, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC, and they'll match your deposit halfway, all the way up to a thousand dollars. You can bet the Masters in hey, so many different ways. Um, yeah. So okay, d- so here's my here's the list. Okay. Dustin Johnson nine to one. Yes, I put a penny on him. Beef, I'm fading just because he won last week. Thomas, hell yeah, I'm in. DeChambeau, I'll pass this week. Rahm at 12 to 1, I'll pass. McElroy, I'll pass at 14 to 1. Shoffley, I will definitely take a piece of him at yep, 22. Definitely. Cantley, no thanks. Uh, nice player, not ready. Kepka's hurt, no. Patrick Reed, they won't let him cheat, no. Morikawa, he's been off form as of late, but I wouldn't, I'd put a penny on him at 30 to 1. Lee West was a good long shot. Yeah. That might be the guy this week. By the way, his wife, his fiance, excuse me, is not on the bag this not week. Steady. Yeah. I know. His brother, I think. His brother um, is. Sand said that know. everybody's disappointed about that. I know, because she's a looker. Uh, Finau at 30. He hasn't been one, playing well, I would though. Love it. Well, here's the thing he can't win. Like, he's had more. That's who I want to win more than anybody. I want Finau to win more than anybody else in this field, but you're right. He just can't get it done. Kind of like Westwood for many years. For a narrative, Finau winning on the biggest stage when he's had such a bad run of not closing out would be the perfect kind of narrative, so I'd put a penny on that as well. Um, We have not had... At the Masters, I'm trying to think, an Asian winner ever, have we? Uh, Korean? Japanese? I Choi didn't win. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know the answer I to mean, that. Could, this, could it be this, M's I mean, turn? Sung J M is a flat baller. <laughs> he, and he, he looks like oh, this yeah. nondescript no boy. <laughs> Yeah, he can he can play. Uh, so, San said that DeChambeau is a definite fade this week. Um, if I if I had had to bet, you know, on one golfer to win this tournament, I would bet on Justin Thomas to win this tournament with the way he's playing, and it it sets up perfectly for him, and he's clutch and everything about you know. And Dustin, you know, played it in the, in, in, to 20 under, which, which it's not going to play, obviously, this weekend. It's a different course. Spieth just won. Um, I, I would. I'll give t- you a crazy, a crazy super long shot. Christian Bazadenhut at 100 to 1. I don't even know who I that was, is. I know. He was like in the final match at the match play a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And. It's a funny ass name, Christian Bazadenhut. What what's his nationality? Is he is uh, he he's your is he Danish or East East East, East Comanche, I don't know. Okay. He's something. He's uh he's probably uh, from Norway. Yeah. Um, I'll look it up for you as I put my phone down. <laughs> well <clears throat> okay. I I like South Africa. South Africa. Oh he's South Christian African. Bezadenhut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um I think Sergio's been playing well. The course he knows very well. He's won here before. Um, it's it, you know he's gonna you're gonna have to keep it in the fairway. I love I I, I like Garcia's chance. Um, in terms of you know when we're looking at like thirty to one or longer shots, it wouldn't surprise me if if uh, Webb Simpson plays really well here um, this weekend. 
And there was one other from the back of the pack um, that I was going to throw some money on. Oh, Bubba, just for the hell of it. Just because for whatever yeah. reason, you know, this place in him, he, he can go. And I think Ustazen could play well this weekend. He's he's, he's had some good weeks. I, it's a, yeah, yeah Ustazen is a good bet as a guy who will come alive during this week. Yeah. What about the young guys? Do you think Hovland's going to win on the tour soon? He's going to, right? I like him, but I don't like him here, not this week. Yeah. Oh, Casey's the other one. But, you know, like Sand said to me, he's like, Casey just he'll have three great rounds, and then he's going to have – he's going to shoot 74 in another round, and he won't win. But he's – All Casey is what I like to say about some of my buddies I play golf with at times. He lacks resolve. So when things go bad – <laughs> when things are going good, he's fine. But he lacks resolve, in my opinion. Hell of a golfer, short little fella, weird little Englishman, kind of like a dwarf. But um, yeah, I would not bet on him. All right, um, I'm up next at your place. Just tell me when and where, and we'll do it uh, via Zoom or, or phone or, or you know, one of those um, secret under uh, surveillance vans that you have. We'll take the surveillance van somewhere, and we'll, uh, we'll do it there. All right, All right, Kevin. Thank have you a both. good one. All right. Yeah. Uh, Steve Zabin, everybody. That's it for today. Back tomorrow with Tommy.